Hashem guides the footstep of man and Hashem guided my footstep and even when I was not aware, even when I was not looking, I wasn't aware. When I felt all alone and the times when I felt like there was no direction, turns out Hashem was there all along guiding my path. Welcome everybody, this is Ordinary People with Extraordinary Stories. I'm Hannah Weisberg, host of this podcast. Joining me today is Rivka Goldstein, who has an incredible journey towards Judaism. Rivka, I'm going to let you tell us all about your journey. First, let's start with, uh, first of all, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. And tell us a little about, you grew up in, in Singapore. What was your life like in Singapore as a child? Well, I grew up in multicultural, multinational and religious country of Singapore. Singapore is, um, a, the success of it was that we had a tremendous, uh, tremendously great leader. We had, a, we had a leader that really promoted religious harmony. So I went to school with Christians and Muslims and Hindus, um, but I don't remember meeting a Jew growing up. So I have no concept of uh, what the Jewish religion was, and most certainly, my first. I guess there's not that there's not that many Jews in Singapore. No, no, no. And um, right today, I think we have at least two thousand or more, two thousand mm. families or more. Most people that come to Singapore um, traditionally were Iraqi Jews, mm. and and of late, uh, traveling and business business Jews, expats they call it. Mm -hmm. So that's that's a demographic of Singapore Jewish. Uh, but growing up, no, I. So you I grew up in a very multicultural, very a lot of different religions that were around you. Yes, yes, but my no first, Judaism. No Judaism. So my first Torah story came via the Christian, the, you know, the Christian Bible. <laughs> really, did right? You, did you feel like you were searching for something as a child? Yes, I was always searching. I was always a perpetual searcher. I remember at nine years old, you know, being in church and listening to a sermon about Abraham and I would sit and I would be in front of him and I'll be tearing and crying. And and I'm I, looking back today, I think that the pastor or whoever must be thinking, you know, either, either I, I'm a great speaker or that this child has got problems. Right. <laughs> wow. How, how, was, yeah. how old were you at that point? I think about eight, nine years old, I used to go to church every Sunday because right. I wanted to hear, I wanted to hear the story. I wanted to learn. And, and yeah, I would be very, I would be moved to tears at that age to the wow. story that I hear about how Abraham left his land and went in search of, of, you know, of his destiny. And what, what do you think you were searching for? Like, what was it inside of you? What were you feeling? So I have no clue at that time in my life. I have no clue what I was looking for. I didn't know that I was looking for Yiddishkeit. I didn't know how it looked like, how it tastes like, how it feels like, how I have no idea. I just knew mm -hmm. that this wasn't it and this wasn't it. And I never felt at home in all the other religions. Yeah. Interesting. So I tested them. You know, I was... Um, how did you test them? Where did I you test, test them? them? By studying them in depth, right? So, and it's easy to do that in Asia, right? Because mm -hmm. you are living among them. And then I also tested them in college and graduate school. Yeah. So I know you went to Harvard and you were taking therapy there. 
Yes. Um, but you were also a major in theology. Yes. Yes. Did you find did you find God in Harvard? No, no. Not. <laughs> really, not surprising. No, no. I'm grateful for the education and and yes, Harvard certainly is filled with you know brilliant minds. You know, I met mm -hmm. people who are blonde like you, but speak my language better than I can and right. read more sophisticated books than I read. So I think that uh, yeah, there's some uh, amazing, amazing, uh, brilliant minds in at Harvard. Um, but what I did not find was the heart and soul of what uh, Yiddishkeit, or for that matter, who God is. Let's just put it very simply, right? Which led me to later on in my life to to search for to search for God because I was hoping to find that at Harvard, but I didn't. Yeah, hmm. and I've always said the best part of my Harvard education was the free therapy that I got in my <laughs> whole twenties. I had, you know, I it was so important for every young person to it was my soul searching uh, journey of self-discovery and and being in therapy was very helpful at that time in my life but I was in therapy because it was part of my course curriculum it was part of my mm -hmm. my you know um requirement uh, mm -hmm. to become a therapist that was part of my requirement so I was happy for that opportunity so that was the highlight of my Harvard education so people ask me today you know your son have an opportunity to go to Harvard, would you want him to? Um, my answer is, well, you know, it's up to him, but I would put a yeshiva education on a far higher, mm. you know, priority. Than why, why, why is that? Why? Um, and I'm talking about over 20, over 20, 30 years ago, right? I was in college and back then already, I felt like there was a, um, it was not conducive to, to, the spiritual, emotional growth of a young person. And mm -hmm. today as a Jew, most certainly I don't think that it is um, sensitive to the Jewish neshama. It's not a place mm -hmm. that I would want my son to be um, surrounded or be at. Unless, unless you know, he's married and settled and he wants to go to graduate school there. And then mm -hmm. at which point I would say yes. But as a young person looking for, for direction, I... I mm, I'm not a big fan of Mac and colleges. Right. When you were searching as a child, what did your parents think of that? Um, yeah, they thought I was, you know, I was troubled child. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was right. voted. I was voted most likely to um, drop out of school, get pregnant and go to jail. Really? Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so when I got accepted to Harvard, it was a running joke among my friends and, and, and my family, like, how did she do it? You know, how, how did you do it? How did you do it? Um, you know, everything was Hashka Pratis. I think that mm. my path, divine providence, divine providence, I, I believe that, you know, it's interesting that Hashem guides the footstep of man and Hashem mm. guided my footstep. And even when I was not aware even when I was not looking, I wasn't aware. When I felt all alone and the times when I felt like there was no direction, turns out Hashem was there all along, guiding my path. Um, how did it happen was, um, so it turns out one of the pastor in church told me that, you know, you have a hunger to learn and you should uh, apply. And I said, well, you know, I don't have the grades to measure up. There's no chance that I will be accepted to Harvard. And he said, no, I'll write you, I'll write you a recommendation and my wife will write, write you a recommendation and they're both professors. And I said, okay. 
and I did. Yes. So it was all meant to be. And I do think the reason why is that today as an author, right, as a as an author, I felt like I, I needed that credibility, even though between me and myself, I didn't think that I it was important. I didn't think mm. that that was the, the it didn't define who I was or who mm. I am. Yeah. Right. Okay. So you started off as this somewhat troubled child who was always searching. You then got into Harvard where you didn't find God, even though you thought you might. <laughs> what led you to Judaism? Um, so Baruch Hashem, Todala Hashem, I would say that, um, again, you know, my, it was part of my destiny. It was my destiny. And um, even though uh, most people will not you know, will frown on the fact that you were you you uh, you're doing you're converting for marriage. In my case, I was already searching and looking. But what pushed me to to oh by the way, Mazaltov to me is Rosh Kodesh Elul is my birthday. Oh wow, that's so nice. Yes, happy birthday. Thank I'm you. I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to ask how many years. No, I'm a teenager. Yeah. Of course, you look like one. Yes, yes. Because uh, I'm a, first of all, I'm a Safta already, Baruch Hashem. Um, oh, wow. But, but, but from my husband's daughters. Uh, but um, how many years ago? I joined the Jewish nation on Rosh Kodesh Elul. I Beautiful. went to the rabbi and I said, I'm converting and I'm only going to do it on Rosh Kodesh Elul. Wow. The rabbi, then the rabbi looked at me like, who's the rabbi, you or me? Why are you telling me what to do? So, but I said, yes, I like to convert. What, only why did Rosh you want to convert? Why did you want to convert on Rosh Chodesh Elul? So I learned that on Rosh Chodesh Elul, that's the month of the ultimate tshuva. That's mm. the month that every Jew comes to pray to Hashem. And because Hashem's in the field, God is with us in this month. And God comes out of his throne and try to reach us. And and it's the most conducive month for all of us to return to God, right? So Beautiful. this is the month that we return to God. So I said, you know, this was that's this the was month that you be, wanted. Yes, on special, the, on the special special day. Yes, wow, yes. So you're telling us about how, how did you meet your husband? Like it was, it seems like it was him that caused you to want to convert. My husband, we met in a Torah class. Managers. Oh, wow. So, so yes. So he had gone through, uh, you know, wait, how did you end up in a Torah class? <laughs> I'm you sitting from Singapore to Harvard. How did you get from there to a Torah class? I know I was sitting, I was in, sitting in a cafe and mm -hmm. someone was handing out a flyer and the flyer said that there was going to be a class on reincarnation. And I say, you know, okay, I'll check it out. But it was a Jewish class. So I, a Kabbalah class. So I decided to go and, and there I met my husband. But at that time, I wasn't looking for a husband. I was really very hung hungry to look for the meaning and purpose of life. And um, but so, but my husband had gone through a very difficult divorce at that time in his life, and he had confessed that, you know, ordinarily he would never have gone to a, to a Torah class. He would never have gone to a to, to see a rabbi. So the running joke was that we became Jewish together. Even together. though, yes, <laughs> even though he was born Ashkenaz, you know, he, he was a, he's born Jewish and uh, we grew together in our path. We, you know, we became kosher together. We, uh, you know, we keep Shabbos together and yeah, we grew, we grew together. Yeah. So were you the one that was motivating him to become more Jewish or he felt more observant in his Judaism or it was a joint? Let's journey. just say he was ripe for the plucking. He was ready. 
He was mm-hmm. ready. He's been through a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of life. He was in his 50s and he was looking for meaning and purpose as well. He wanted to understand what life was all about. And I was in my 30s and I was certainly also on that path. And and we met and we came together. And, um, you know, in the beginning of our journey, it used to be that I would say to him, I would say, you know, um, you know, when we're invited to people's home for for Shabbat, I see that they have, you know, they have uh, this this they make this blessing on this wine and they make this blessing on this bread. I say, how come you don't do that? He said, you mm. want that? He would ask me, just what you want? I say, yes, I very much like that. And then uh, and he would do that. He would arrange for that on Friday night. He would do it, you know, uh, bread and, and blessing. I had no idea what it was called. I didn't know it was called Kiddush. <laughs> I didn't know it was called Hala. I had no <laughs> idea, but I liked it. I, I was drawn to it and the songs and the singing. And I didn't know it was called Bekat Hamazon. I had no idea what it was. And um, so he started to he started to introduce that in our dates. Mm. And and then slowly but surely, I said, you know, you know, I see people going to the synagogue. How come how come you don't go to the synagogue? You say, that's what you want. I say, yes, I do. I do. I want to go. And so and so we started going together. And uh, today, Baruch Hashem, Todala Hashem, he is an, uh, you know, I call him the the ultimate Bali Chuva. He puts on tefillin every day. He doesn't miss Mm -hmm. a day of shul and, and, you know. And so wow. let's just say we both found our way to each other and to God. Unbelievable. Wow, yes, that's beautiful. Yes, yes. So what, what was it about Judaism that attracted you? What made you feel like, wow? Well, there's multiple. I mean, yes, the, I think the most important thing that I discovered about Judaism is that um, Judaism is never about um, pleading to God for what you need. Right? Judaism is not about us going to God saying, I need this and I need to get to heaven. I need this and I need that. And Judaism is about us doing for God. Right. So mm-hmm. that's the most inspiring part because a human being when is, is a free person when we, we stop being self-absorbed. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. If we can step out of ourselves and say, okay, you know, enough about me. What does God need from me? That is the ultimate freedom. Hmm. And yes, and then Judaism, you know, is so much about not not about going to heaven, but bring heaven down on to earth. That's how. Mm-hmm. That's how you know. That's how. Uh, that's in really contrary nice. to the other religions, yeah. Because we're usually so much into, I mean, in in secular society, we're so into ourselves, our needs, our wants. So I guess it was a very refreshing for you to hear another perspective where there's it's not about me, it's about God, it's about what God wants of me. Yes, yes. And and most certainly, you know, I wish that um, I've had all this understanding about about life in Yiddishkeit from Yiddishkeit perspective from from young, but I had to discover it late in life and, and well, better late than never. Absolutely. Wow. Yes. yes Incredible. Yes. So um, so you met your husband, you then underwent conversion. I met once, my husband. Twice. I underwent conversion twice. Twice, why? Yes. So, and if you are seeking conversion and listening to the podcast, just do it one time. Go the orthodox <laughs> route. Do it the proper way. <laughs> do it the proper way. And the reason why is because so what happened was um, in the beginning, I thought I thought I was very, uh, you know, my 
um, I, I thought I was very learned and, and I knew better than the rabbis. And I was, you know, because I studied on my own. I thought, you know, I every in every every literature that was about Judaism, I studied them. So I thought at that point that I knew better. And so that's why I went to the rabbi and said, I want a conversion on Orthodox, a uh, uh, conversion on Rosh Kodesh Elul. Mm-hmm. But I quickly discovered just about the time when I was about, uh, when I became pregnant, seven years later, living Jewishly. Seven years. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And I realized that, no, you know, I'm going to do another conversion that's going to make sure that nobody's going to question my child. Mm-hmm. And I realized that you, right now my journey is no longer just about me or my relationship with Hashem, right? So now it's going to be affecting the next generation. Mm-hmm. So, so you wanted to do it in a proper way. I wanted to do a proper Orthodox conversion that is recognized in Israel. I see. And again, Hashaka Pratis, Hashem guides the footstep of man. And, um, you know, I met a wonderful Chabad rabbi that took me by the hand. Rabbi Felix, thank you. Here's my <laughs> official thank you. Uh, that took me by the hand to to Rabbi Leofiel. Um May his soul make Aliyah. And yeah, so he gave me a proper conversion. Wow. Yes. Which, yeah. And then and- after, shortly after that, I have a son. Yeah. You had a son. How yeah. old is your son now? Well, Baruch Hashem, this is his bar mitzvah year. Wow. And uh, we're planning to take him to uh, Israel to celebrate. To Israel, and, wow. Right. So having this child was a complete miracle, right? Because seven years later, um, I was a stepmother for many years. And it prepared me in so many ways to, you know, I had to focus on that family. And then mm-hmm. seven years later, Baruch Hashem, Todalah Hashem, we have a son. And wow. when I, yeah, and, and my son uh, inspires me to write this book. Right. You said you wrote the book as a present to your son. Why? Yes. I started. So the, it, book, the book is called Creating a Life That Matters. Yes. And, and what, what's it about? Tell us a little about it. Okay. So I would have preferred to call it the life manual because it was meant <laughs> to be a life manual for my son. Mm-hmm. So I, the, what inspired this book was the fact that, um, I felt, first of all, very untaught growing up, right? Um, I very, uh, very what? Untaught. Untaught. Like I had to, yeah, so very mm-hmm. untaught, right? I, had, I feel like I have to figure out life on my own. Mm-hmm. And, and then in addition to that, uh, coming to Judaism, both my husband and I, we both do not have any uh, family support in a way mm-hmm. of like there was no Torah Babi or no Torah Zedi to, mm-hmm. to help me raise this child. Right, mm-hmm. but thankfully, Baruch Hashem, Todalah Hashem, we have amazing rabbis in the world, and today you have such an access, such an easy access to 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 learning Torah. And I found Rabbi Manis Friedman and found that his his teachings were so pertinent to every aspect of life. And I went from writing a love letter to my son to try and explain to him who he was, to translating Rabbi Friedman's teachings and transcribing, translating into a book. Because I realized that why reinvent the wheels? There's already been, you know, everything that you need to know about life has already been been taught. And so I put them into a book for my son so that he should know um, who he is, what life is about. Um, everything from the beginning of life to the end of life, I put them in this book. Um, from uh, the first chapter, the difference between living and existing, uh, to Jewish dating, to the mm-hmm. difference between sex and intimacy, 
to what mm-hmm. happens to the afterlife and parenting everything that he needs to know about life. Mm-hmm. I put them in here so that he cannot say, well, nobody taught me. Right. Uh, nobody told me. Has so, he read it yet? Has your son uh, read the book yet well, or not yet? It. He well, looks at it. You know, started- he knows it's going to be for when he's ready for it. Yes, he's very aware. So I would rather for him to go through a little life and experience a life and maybe he will start reading when he starts dating. Um, So I'm not anxious for him to read it, but I'm glad that it's um, it's been published and it's there waiting for him. My husband called it a reference book. You can refer to it. Uh, You know, he can go back and refer to to the book all through his life. Um, now, because it started off as a love letter to my son, I've also given 100% of the proceeds of this book to Tzedakah. Mm-hmm. So it goes to what we print and, you know, um, it's been given to the different uh, prisons. You know, Aleph Institute has taken them and, and given it mm-hmm. to Jewish prisoners. So, so this is truly a labor of love for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, uh, what was it like to write a book with Rabbi Manus Friedman? Rabbi Friedman, he is... Um, He's a hero. I just, uh, I have to say, first of all, he walks the talks, mm-hmm. right? He walks the talks. He is, he's exactly who he is. Uh, you know, what you see is what you get with Rabbi Freeman. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very grateful for him. And so is my husband. Amazing. Um, yes. He taught us. Yeah. Did you ever go back to Singapore? Yes. Yes. In fact, we were just there last year, the whole Hagim, we were there. My son oh, wow. grew up in Singapore. So that place has a very special spot in his heart. Interesting. Yes. So so, he was born in in Florida and then you went back? Yes. And he was born in Florida because in Singapore, they they didn't allow home birth. And Mm -hmm. home birthing was not a a common practice. And I was one of those natural mom and I had to do a home birth. (laughs) At 40, I did a home birth. And so I came back here to 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 give birth to him and then went back to Singapore after. Yes. Was it was it hard to keep observance in Singapore? You know, thank God we have an amazing community, amazing rabbi, Rabbi Abujan, Rabbi Rifni. Rabbi Rifni, he's the engine of the community. He really makes sure that every we get whatever that we needed to live a very strong and vital Jewish life. So I would say, no, I think that um, if you have a desire to do so, um, it's an effort, yes, of course, because, you know, there's no restaurant that you can that, that you can go to you know just there's two sure. right now I, I think that there are two so there are things about about living in Asia that you know if you're committed to Jewish life you can make it happen we get, we get our meat from Australia Uruguay and things like that I think mm-hmm. and and the rabbis um, certainly check the chicken and all our amazing amazing yeshiva habat boys that come you know, every year, mm-hmm. six of them, and they they get all the credit from the community. These are amazing young men um, that devote their whole entire year to the Jewish community. Wow. But when you live in Asia, you see very clearly Hashem's hands um, because you're more sensitive and attuned to it. You see how when a Jew wants to do a mitzvah, Hashem rearranges the whole entire universe for this yid to do a mitzvah. So if how, I did may, you, how did you see that? So if I may just share a personal sure. story on this. Sure. Um, but this was in the early on when I first became Jewish. This was not, you know, 
this was very early, very early on. I was in Singapore. I was, it was um, this one day I, my grandmother had passed away and I was feeling a little down. And at that time, it was the earlier part of my marriage. I was trying to figure out who I was and how I fit into this marriage, which Baruch Hashem today informed my work um, as a marriage therapist and as a dating coach. And because back then it was such an adjustment, right? Nobody taught us how to be married. Nobody taught us how to be a mother or a stepmother. So I found sure. that I was trying to adjust myself into a new family. And, and it was, it was difficult. And I, and I was sad because my grandmother who was my, who raised me, right. Um, passed away. So I'm sitting there in my PD part. And I say to Hashem, I said, you know, I need to go to a restaurant right now to comfort myself because, you know, I was looking for comfort in food. Right. Yeah. I need to go to this place and they make this dish that my grandmother used to make from scratch. It was such a special meal and I need to go and have that right now. So, so I called my driver at that time. We're leaving Asia. We had a driver and I said, I said to him, I said, you know, um, are you available to pick me up? And I look at the clock. It was 11 o'clock and I call him. Are you available to pick me up right now? Does my husband need you in the office? He said, no, no, I'm available. I said, okay, so can you come and pick me up? So I, I took that as, as Hashem saying, you know, you don't have to keep kosher today. Today you're off, mm. off the hook. You can go, you know. Okay, so he comes and he picks me up. And the whole way driving there to the restaurant, I'm thinking to myself, I said, you know, Hashem set you up with such a nice, you know, such a nice setup here. And, and you're going to take the car that Hashem gave you to go do a non-mitzvah, to go eat a non-kosher food. That's, doesn't, that's not right. But then I said, no, you know, it cannot be that Hashem's listening to me. It cannot be that he's listening to the dialogue in my head. It cannot be that he cares. I'm only going to go eat one meal. What's the big deal? And plus, it's not like I'm eating hazard. I'm eating like a, you know, I'm, I'm having a vegan meal. And, and it's not like it's a big deal. Um, so in my head, I'm going through this whole conversation with myself. And and then I say, and then I said to Hashem, I said, you know, you know, don't look at me. Just just leave me alone. No, go get the other sinners out there. There are many of them. Just leave me alone and I'm going to be fine. Just going to eat one meal and go home. You know, I just needed to comfort myself. Right. So I got out of the car. I walked into the restaurant and, and I sat down and I look around. I say, oh, I hope nobody sees me. Nobody sees me. And I sat down and the waiter comes to me and he gives me a menu, half the, half the thickness of this book. And he says to me, he goes, I can make everything on this menu except, and he named that one dish that I went there for. Hmm. One dish that I went there for. He said, I cannot make that meal because our kitchen burned down. Oh, wow. He said, our kitchen burned down. So with this special oven, I cannot make this meal. And I sat there and I look up to Hashem and I said, well, you don't have to burn the kitchen down just for me. (laughs) So I asked him, what time did your kitchen burn? He said, around 11 o'clock. And that was the time when I called my driver to pick me up. Wow. Wow. So from then on, I said to Hashem, but before I tell you that, I really asked, I really davened about this one aspect. I always say, I I struggle so hard with it. I say, Hashem, please, you know, please help me. I know that I don't understand why kosher is important to you. Um, All converts should be exempted from kosher. But... 
If you think that I need to do this, uh, this mitzvah, I'm going to try, I'm going to try, I'm going to do it, I'm going to try and do it. But since that experience, Baruch Hashem, Todah Hashem, I don't have that desire anymore. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Since Incredible. that experience, I said, you know, thank you, God. Yeah. So I wanted well, to share that. Yeah. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah. What was that? Was that the hardest mitzvah for you to take on? Kosher, keeping kosher. It sure is. I know there are, there are people out there that cannot understand this concept because you know food is not that important to them. But growing up in Asia, especially in Singapore, where food is a national pastime, you know, if you mm -hmm. buy a house, I always joke that, you know, a kitchen is optional because, you know, you can eat anywhere all the time. <laughs> right. More importantly, it was, I think that food was always surrounded with um, comfort. comfort, yeah, and mm -hmm. happiness and joy when there's food around, there's family around, there was always that and 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 then the other times are not so joyful, you know, so, mm -hmm. and today I also do a a retreat i call it the shidokin boot camp with girls who struggle with their weight and mm. um you know i help them and teach them how to eat properly and how to how to embrace themselves and and how to overcome their their you know um emotional their, eating yeah emotional eating their relationship with food uh wow. I, yeah so i do a workshop with with young women for that it's a, a, a retreat because i see that um i teach at the seminary as well and I see that girls sometimes struggle with the self-image and their body, you know, the the, mm -hmm. the body image, and 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 it's hard to go out to to Shidokim dating and in that in that uh, from that. And you place. struggle with yourself, yeah. sure, right, sure, right. Is is that why you call yourself Doda Rivka because you teach in the seminary and yes. you have a lot of girls? Yes, Baruch Hashem. So I didn't want them to call me Mrs. Goldstein, you know. Right. So I wanted to be Doda Rivka. So when they come to they they come to class, they feel like they have a safe place where they can express themselves. Yeah. Right. Yes. For those listening, Doda means aunt, right? Yes, aunt Doda means right. aunt, aunt, yeah, auntie. Uh -huh. yeah. Wow. Yeah, but this so was you, 20 you, years ago, but today that I'm was a long time ago. Yeah, today I'm a right, yes. Mitzvah, but I'm keeping Dora. <laughs> so you 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 said that the struggle was because it was hard to, I guess, balance being a new mother, a new wife, you know, a stepmother, new a new new in so many ways. Did you? How did you resolve that? One day, one step, and uh, you know, Smart. at a time. One prayer at a time. One prayer, right. one step at wow. a time. Yes. Wow. I think that, um, yeah, it has to be that, you know, I just mm -hmm. remember, you know, every time I like the Shabbos candle, uh, I would stand in front of the candles for, for a long time, just davening and saying to Hashem how my week went and what I struggled with and what was difficult and Hashem helped me. And it was from, you know, Hashem helped me become a family with my stepchildren mm -hmm. and Hashem saved my marriage and mm -hmm. give me children, children that is going to be Torah observant. It was all of that, right? right? And it was a growing experience. So in the beginning, it was very hard. Today, Baruch Hashem, Todah Hashem, um, you know, I've overcome all of that. And what I mean by that was this. So if I may share another very personal story. In the sure. very beginning of my journey, I just remember that being in a, in a place like, um, um, you know, you know, when does a couple uh, fight, right? It's always right before Shabbos or Mikvah mm -hmm. night. You know, that's mm -hmm. the time when there's all these dark forces trying to pull you apart. And there was this one time and very early on in my marriage, I was feeling very down and feeling like, you know, 
things was things were no good things were falling apart i didn't understand how you know it took me such a long journey first of all to become jewish and then to be married how is it possible that i'm i'm struggling in my marriage and of course it was um also at the beginning of my um uh, not beginning, but it was in the peak of my of my uh, therapist career. So I said, how could it be that I'm struggling when I'm a therapist, um, mm-hmm. helping other people in their marriage? And so it was very, very difficult. And I just remember really in my bathroom floor crying and saying to Hashem, this is too, too much. I don't know how to do this. This is very difficult. And it was, it so happened. It was my mikvah night that night. Mm-hmm. So I called the mikvah place to cancel my my appointment. For, for those who are watching, mikvah night means that we follow the laws of family purity, and that means that the couple um, abstains from relationships for almost two weeks till mikvah night. And after the mikvah, this is again they're reuniting in intimate relations and physical touch. Right. And so, of course, at that time there was nothing nothing in my in my system that wants me to you know there was there was the last thing on my mind to be, you know, to be intimate. So I call the mikvah and I cancel, I can't, I try to cancel my appointment. And a friend of mine picked up the phone and she said, no, 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 I'm waiting for you. You're coming, you're coming. You know, I'm, I'm here and, you know, I'm not leaving till you come. And, and I said, I said, fine. So I dragged myself into the car and I, I went there. And on my way there, I remember that, you know, we learned that the angels of Hashem accompanies a woman when she goes to the mikvah. Mm-hmm. And I just picture myself going there. Uh, with, the angels of Hashem was with me and I felt comforted. And then when I stepped into the mikvah and I saw my friend and she had confided in me, she said, you know, Rivka, my marriage is over. My marriage is over and I'm not even going to wait until Pesach. She said, Pesach, I'm going to, you know, after Pesach, she was going to call off the marriage. She said, it's so hard and so difficult that I'm not even going to wait till Pesach. I am going to call it off now, this minute. And as I'm sitting there in front of her, and she's a soul sister, a convert just like me. And I said, it was like I had an epiphany. I said, wait a minute. No, it cannot be. It cannot be. I said to her, I said, you know, all Jewish women, uh, every woman is a soldier, a general in her family. She is leading and guiding her family to Geula. And I say, converts, we are special forces. I said, mm-hmm. I said, cannot be that we're going to give up on our husbands, on our family. And no, we can't. So I said to her, I said, you know, let's just write this second. I said, I know, you know, I, I, she was already post-menopause, you know, post, uh, she's no longer going to the mikvah. So I said to her, so tonight I'm going to take you to the mikvah. You're mm-hmm. going to take me to the mikvah and I'm going to take you to the mikvah. And you're going to go to the mikvah to change your status. The status of a woman who has never, who has not been intimate with your husband for the last however many years at that point and someone who is in a marriage that was broken and it was a broken family and I said no that it cannot be it cannot be that Hashem chose us for this mission and we fail well, mm-hmm. I said no we're not going to fail we're not going to give in to the to the to the enemy and the enemy of course is not our mother-in-law it's not mm-hmm. it's not our stepchildren or our, you know, our husband's ex-wife or his future ex-wife, or it's, not, it's got nothing to do with anybody. It's not that community member that, that does not agree with us. Uh, 
that's, those are not our enemies. I said, our enemies is that, is that voice, is that Yetze Hara that says, you know, that don't want us to be Echad, they don't want us to be one, they don't want us to be um, Hashem Echad, right? Shema Israel Hashem Echad. And what is our salvation? Our salvation is Echad with our family. And most mm-hmm. certainly, our enemy is not our husband. Mm-hmm. And our husband is also fighting his enemy, his Yetzirah. And the salvation of a family depends solely on the woman. We can turn things around. It was all of a sudden a light bulb came on. And I realized that I was the one that was difficult. And I was the one that was making life impossible for my husband. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. So I realized that I have so much unhealed childhood wounds that I brought in the marriage. Interesting. Now I expect my husband to, you know, to be my therapist up to the minute. He, he's not, he's, he can't do that. That's not his, you know, that's not his training. Interesting. But that so, one, so you worked on yourself in that area? Yes, I worked on myself. And Baruch Hashem. And I guess that affected the dance of the relationship. It it affected the dance and and my marriage came around and and all of a sudden my husband went from the most insensitive man in the planet on the planet earth (laughs) to the most incredible man (laughs) that I've ever met. Yes. And and then the following following week, this friend this friend who was a volunteer at the, at the Mikvah came up to me and she said, my husband and I also decided to give our marriage a chance. Mm-hmm. And the two of us, we hugged each other and tears were coming down our face. And it was a moment of victory. It was a moment of saying, wow, wow, this is special. We got it. We got it. Wow. We understood this. This is what it's all about our mm. entire life brings us to this moment. This mm. is the battlefield. The battlefield is in the family, but this is also, this is also our destiny and our, our liberation mm. right here in our family. Mm-hmm. And it was a very powerful moment. It changed my life. And I know it certainly changed her life. And, it ch- and at that point, it also informed all of my, all of my uh, life work. You know, I was very encouraged and so there's today when when Jewish women come to me, I because of my own victory and my own experience, I I feel very confident. I say, if I can do it, you can do it. Mm-hmm. Right? If I can save my marriage and bring it to where it is today, you can too. You can. So you're saying there was a shift in your perspective that really changed everything. There was a shift, and that shift happens in a in a second. It was the shift that produces miracle, right? Mm-hmm. It was an understanding that no, I'm not going to look outside and say that. And, and say my that things are not good externally. If I could shift something inside of me and recognize that my marriage is a blessing, it's a gift from Hashem, as hard as it was, as hard as it is, uh, that's where all the blessings are. That's mm. where, that's, that's where, yeah. Yeah. So we are going to, the Jewish women are leading the entire nation, no mm. pressure, ladies, out of Geula, but it begins... <laughs> Right. One home at a time. It happens one home at a time. time. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. And we have Hashem given us what we need. You know, we are armored. We are, we have everything that we need. Um, The tools are within us. We have the tools. are within us. Yes. So a big part of my job uh, as a marriage therapist is to always remind women that they have what they need. 
they have what they need to heal their marriage, to heal themselves, to heal their husband, to heal their family. And in fact, they are the only one, they're the only person that has what it takes and what I, their family needs. I guess you don't mean in extreme situations, but in general. Certainly, yes. Yeah, so we're not talking about family that has, uh, you know, the three A's, the big, you know, abuse, right. addiction or affairs. You know, I'm talking about those kind of families. Of course, right. those families need, you know, serious help. Um, we're talking about uh, we're talking right. about family with just you know husband are also you know our husbands are also trying to figure out their lives and mm-hmm. they're they're also fighting their own their their and one of the important things that Rabbi Freeman says that I think that is worth repeating is is that you know men are made from Adam Adama right Adam which means that it takes nothing for for a man to feel like he is no nobody or he's no one, he's nothing. Mm-hmm. And the one person that is the most instrumental in his life that can convince him that he is in fact somebody is his wife, right? right. But so, we often convince them that they're nothing, right? Right. So we make a whole life of convincing them that, yep, you're no good, you can't take the trash right. out, you cannot do this, you, you know, you're not good, you can't put right. on the diaper the right way. Every little thing. Right. Every, yeah, all right. of that makes a husband feel like you know that they are nothing. You know, right. women are not sure. made from Adam. Adama were not made from dirt, so we never would understand that man's psyche. Women's psyche are never zero. Right, right, right. right. But if we look at a husband the wrong way, if we say the wrong word, and that's it, that 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 breaks them down. But mm-hmm. I didn't know this, Hana. Mm-hmm. Nobody taught me. Right, mm-hmm. I had to learn this all on my own, sure. you know. Right, and uh, and so t- when you ask me the question about w- what drew me to Judaism, but this is also another thing. This is the right. amazing and beautiful part is that Hashem says, "Your family, your marriage, your children, my gift to you, and you are my co-creator. You are my partner mm-hmm. in healing them, in pr- bringing them to a, 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 a you know a place of uh, oneness." Sure. Right. Sure. Right. So you you told us what your most challenging mitzvah is keeping kosher. What's your favorite mitzvah? Oh, my favorite mitzvah. No, that's that's a long list. I like everything. <laughs> okay, let's start with the hair. Okay. <laughs> you, you like the, the hair covering? <laughs> I, the fact that I don't ever have to spend a minute. Uh, with my hair, that's fantastic. You know, <laughs> right. I take it out, I send it in, I bring it back. It's it's fantastic. So, because I don't have the patience to sit in the salon to do my nails or do my hair, and so so that's a great mitzvah for me. I I, I love it. I love. Oh, I'm wearing a hat um, or babis babushka, whatever it is. You know, I I, right. I love that mitzvah that I don't ever have to think about uh, that. Take just one thing off my list. That's yeah. a that's a good perspective. Yes, yes. Um, Shabbos. Uh, Yom Tov, all of that is so wonderful, you know, again, but that's surrounding, you know, a lot of food, a lot of fan, friends and family right. and all that. I love that. Um, what is my favorite? What other mitzvah? Um, every day, you know, a Jewish person starts the day with meditation, which mm-hmm. is the davening, the prayers. Every prayer is a meditation. Um, what a great way to start the day, you know? Mm. You know, this is the this is the way to to absolutely for yes sure. yes. You know, talking to Hashem can, prayers. Yeah. Can you share with us one teaching from the Rebbe or from Hasidic thought that made the biggest impact on your life? Um, well, the Rebbe said that that you know, if you look at the world and you see that 
everything, you know, if you see that everything is wrong, then there's something inside of you that you have to fix, mm-hmm. right? But if you look at the world and you see Hashem's creation and you're in awe of it, then, you know, you, you're good. You're in a good place. Amazing. So so I feel like um, that's an important uh, orientation for human being, right? If we look around us and we're constantly complaining and seeing everything that is wrong, then we have to say, and we should have the humility and the courage to get help, right? Mm-hmm. We should say, oh, another thing that I feel that was very important is that I think we live in a culture of a lot of shame. Like if we if we ask for help, it's almost like, we fail or something is bad that, you know, mm-hmm. something's wrong with us. Um, I wish that, so that's one, also one of the things that I wish I've learned early on uh, that, you know, it's okay to ask for help. Mm-hmm. It's okay to say I'm momentarily struggling in this area in my life and I need help because mm-hmm. you're human. You're human. Absolutely. But if you grew up in a family where you feel that you have to be in control of everything, where you feel that no one's there for you, for that matter, there's, you know, there's no one that is going to support you, trust you, hear you. Then you grow up as a, as a person, as a grown-up that is going to uh, not be so quick to reach out for help. And mm-hmm. so I, so I, I think, and I encourage women to do that. Uh, don't it's be afraid. Important. Yes. I think it's very important to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but today also Baruch Hashem, you know, uh, Therapy is, is very much available and there's so much we can learn on the internet and um, podcasts and all of that. But that does not replace working with a therapist. And that's something mm-hmm. that I've learned because in my 20s, I thought I was so self-sufficient because, you know, I was reading a lot. I was learning a lot. I knew how to reach out to resources, but it did not replace having working with a mashpia working or, you know, being a mentor, a mentor, right. a mentor, having a mentor or having a, uh, a therapist to work with you. And, right. and most certainly, of course, um, as a Froom lady, I always would recommend that you pick uh, to work with somebody who is Torah observant mm-hmm. because psychology as amazing and as uh, advanced as it is, is an unperfected science, right? Mm-hmm. It's an unperfected science compared to Torah. Torah is a time-tested wisdom. So mm-hmm. as an example, if you go to a therapist and your therapist will help you to really focus on what's wrong with your husband, what's wrong with him, and everything that's wrong with him, instead of trying to help you understand also that he is also a holy neshama struggling and what is your role, what is your sacred role in, in his life uh, mm-hmm. in helping him to heal and helping you because in, in helping him to heal, you are healed because mm-hmm. you're one of the same soul. Mm-hmm. So, so that's that kind of aspect that is missing. I feel in regular psychology. Right. Another aspect, for example, in in uh, parenting, right? For for the longest time, right? Psychologists is telling us we have to build up a child's self esteem, self esteem, and self esteem. They should have a good self esteem. And what did we discover? Children use their self esteem. They turn into monster. Right? They turn you know, they turn <laughs> it against you. Right. But what does Torah says, which is what psychologists have recently discovered. And that is self-control is more mm-hmm. important than self-esteem mm-hmm. or what psychologists call impulse control. They made a study to say that what, who are the children who are the most successful? The successful children are not the ones who have the greatest self-esteem, the one with the greatest self-control. But the Torah mm-hmm. has been telling us this, right? The Torah mm-hmm. has been, the whole entire Torah is saying what's allowed, what's not allowed. Mm-hmm. And people make the mistake of thinking that if we tell children these things, we're going to, um, 
restrain them. We're going to uh, cram them, cram their style. You know, mm-hmm. that's not true. I see this, you know, it, it, it's not true that if we teach our children right from wrong, because it's encumbered upon us, morality has to be taught, right? It's not something that we're born with. Something that's why Hashem introduced it to us in in the Torah, right? Because He knows if we're not born with it, we have a freedom of choice whether or not we're going right. to be a moral person or not. So, right. so in that way, yeah, yeah, very nice. So, Rivka, you went from a life in Singapore to a Harvard graduate of theology to a married Jewish woman who keeps Torah and mitzvot who has written a book with Rabbi Manus Freeman on creating a life that matters to a therapist and a teacher and a coach for, for young women who are dating, teaching them how to live a Jewish life. What do you say to yourself looking back at your past? Hannah, if you had said that to me when I was eight, nine, 10, even 12 years old, crying myself to sleep at night, I would say, I don't know who you're talking about. Right. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. I don't know who you're talking about. That I can crank out a Shabbos meal for 200 people or 40 people, wow. whatever. I would say, I don't know how to cook. I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Incredible. Yes. yes. So Baruch Hashem, Todala Hashem. I, I think that, you know, we all should know that even when we're not aware, Hashem was guiding our footsteps. Hashem is there every step along the way. Every mm. step along the way. And you've seen it. You've seen it so many times. I've seen it. I've experienced it. And as I said, living in Asia, I see it so clearly and so often that when a Jew wants to do a mitzvah, Hashem rearranges the whole universe to help this Jew to do a mitzvah. Wow. Incredible. Rivka, thank you so much for joining us. You're very inspiring in your, you. in your outlook and in your perspective and in the way that you live your life. Thank you. Hannah, thank May- you. Thank you for inviting me. May you have much success in all your continued endeavors. Amen, amen. And with your son and with his upcoming bar mitzvah. Amen, amen. And may we may this be our last in Golis. Thank you. Yes, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. What I liked most about the interview with Rifka today was how real and honest she was. It wasn't just that she converted to Judaism and that was the end of it life, living a fairy tale life and a happy ever ever after. But she shares with us her journey, her challenges, the difficulties, the mitzvot that were the most difficult for her to actually observe and the ones that she feels are the most beautiful. As a young mother, as a young wife, as a stepmom, things were hard. She didn't know how to navigate those struggles, those difficulties, but she eloquently shares the tears, the joys, and the happiness. I hope you enjoyed this podcast with Rivka Goldstein. If you'd like to view other podcasts, please go to Chabad.org forward slash extraordinary and share your comments with us. We love to hear from you.